Welcome to episode 65 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And my name is Gabe Sachs. Welcome to episode 65. It's a new year, Jeff Greenstein. New year, 2024. 2024. I believe 20 by 24 probably means something yes. in photographic parlance. I'm sure. And had I looked it up <laughs> before beginning this podcast, that would have been smart. I think but it's I a new film format. It's going to be 20 by 24, and you just had a really, really, really big camera because it's 20 inches by 24 inches. There you go. There, there you it go. is. Actually, wasn't that the Polaroid camera? Oh, right. Wait. Wait. Okay, watch is it this. the right watch size? Watch it happen live. Let's see. Ladies watch and gentlemen. This happen, uh, watch this happen live. I am right. Yes, we knew that though. The big <laughs> camera that was in the uh, the documentary, the gigantic Polaroid camera, Elsa Dorfman, right? It's amazing. The Elsa Dorfman Polaroid that was twenty twenty four. There you How go. How about that? That it is the year almost we like. like I yes, it's yes. almost like I knew. Yeah, you knew. You knew. Instead of just running my mouth <laughs> and not fact checking, which by the way is something that I did on last episode that I am really paying for. <laughs> I just want to get this out of the way right at oh, the top no, before we here do we anything. Go. Two to the eighth, okay, is 64. 64 is not something else. <laughs> My math professor <coughs> brother was humiliated <gasps> because I said 64 was like two to the fourth or something. Oh, my 64 goodness. 64 is two to the eighth. Okay. 64 is two to the eighth. That's all. I just Let me just get it right out of the way. Okay, good. Okay? Good. All right? I think we were talking about significance of the number 64, and I was wrong. Right. I was wrong. Right. All right. So I apologize to all the maths <laughs> out there. <laughs> all the one. Gabe, how have you been? I've been good. I mean, you know, I just got back from Toronto, Canada, where it was yes. cold and snowy, but it was great. Um, yes. You know, I love being in the snow. I love photographing the snow. I wish I could yes. have been there a little longer. I tried to get together with Jessica Devick, who we love from Devick Photos, oh. and yeah. we just couldn't make it work, but we're going to do it next time. So I'm very excited wow. about that. And then I'm going to visit our friends at Downtown Camera and yeah. uh, make a whole adventure out of the whole thing. So... It was very fun. Well, oh, and I rediscovered a lens. I rediscovered a lens. Oh. Well, okay, so we have tons to, tons tons to talk to about. Cover. But let me tons talk about what happened. I'm just going to tell you the year. Oh, man. And we're not going to play this game anymore because I would have to say last year. So I'm going to say, guess what? There were cameras introduced in 1958. You are throwing very, this off. Very, very interesting. Mean, I just apologize. But I'm not saying 65 years ago. I'm not saying 65 years ago. I know, but. I'm just oh, saying. Does that mean we're off yes, forever? Yes, we're off forever. We're just oh going in order of oh the years. God, I know oh it's God. hard. It's all hard. right. Embrace it's it. It's really going to mess with my head. Embrace okay, it. Okay, this is cameras of 1958. Yes, and you're going to enjoy Brought this to you one. I know it by Gabe Sachs. All right. Okay. All right. I, I listen. I am nothing if not flexible, <laughs> which I'm not. But that's fine. Let's hear about cameras of 1958. Did you just say you're not flexible? Weren't you a dance major? I was a dance well, major. I'm something. extremely flexible. Yes. That is, yeah, you know what? That does count. Yes. I was a dance major. You know, have we ever talked about oh that my on gosh. our Smash It podcast? So good. Yes. Yes. I was a dance major, folks. You can look it up. How about that? <laughs> I love People it. People don't think of me that way, but when they see my preternatural grace, it suddenly all makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, you ready? Yes. This is one that yes. you know, and I just, I oh, I got one once and I returned it because oh. it was a dud, but- Okay. 1958, the Nikon yes. S3. Oh, the Nikon S3. You got one and returned it. What I, are you talking about? So I bought it. I was so excited about it because they feel, you know, so strong. You know what I mean? It's like it feels yeah. like a solid camera. It's like when you hold a Leica for the first time. It just, yeah. there's something really strong and cool about it. And the shutter didn't work and it was too expensive to oh. fix it. So. I returned it to the kind gentleman who sold it to me, who was very nice, but um, he was going to fix it, and and that was that. Now that would we're not talking about the reissue of the S3 in 2000. We're talking about the original S3 range introduced in 1958, manufactured yeah. by Japanese optics company Nippon Kogaku. Kogaku. Yes. Um, the S3 is mechanically similar to the Nikon SP, except for a simplified yes. viewfinder system. Right, correct. Yeah. Yes, it does not have as many frame lines or something. Right. See, again, research would have been great, but I didn't <laughs> Silly, do it. Silly, we don't need that. Why okay. Would, that would require us talking before. 
Now, let me ask you this. Yes. Have you owned any other Nikon rangefinder cameras? Never. Oh, Gabe. You have to tell me. Well, I well, we've talked about my beloved Nikon SP. Yes. In one of the earliest episodes of this podcast, by the way, we spoke of the wonderful acquisition story of right. my Nikon SP, which I will not reprise here except to say <laughs> it was the second most amazing instance of fate meeting opportunity yeah. in my life. I, I, I agree. It is a miraculous story, and you have to go back in the archives, and you will find it. Yes, you will find it. But uh, the S3, wow, man, you need a Nikon rangefinder oh, in no. your life. Here we go. I'm at late at night. Oh, I see us texting man. back and forth. And, you know, SPs, baby, not a cheap camera. S3's a little more accessible. The S3 was reissued in 2000. It's kind of a miraculous thing they did. They basically pulled out all the old tools and dies and made a new version of it. But uh, Nikon rangefinders are quite a joy. But to then use. I have to get into the lenses and I have yes, to figure out which is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's terribly yeah. sad. Yeah. It's terribly sad. And you know, they're not compatible with contacts. Great. Oh, it's a whole thing. All right. But the S3 is a wonderful camera. It's a great camera. Great pick. Here's great another pick. one. Ready, okay. ladies and gentlemen? The Leica M2. Ooh. Which came well, out right after here. the M3. M3. All okay, of Gabe, this, would you like another to thing tell that our audience? Tell our audience what's different between the M3 well, and Well, it's the M3. really the scaled down, you know, the lower cost version of the M3. Um, yes. Simplified rangefinder, um, you know, easier use of 35 millimeter lenses. The, the issue is... Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. The, I love the M2. I got the M2 before I got an M3. Ah, I think okay. it's a cool camera, and I think that's another way. I often see those at good deal, as good deal. So, wow! I think that that's another way to get into Leica is the is the M2. M3s have a premium, obviously, and some people regard that as the best made Leica. So, I think yeah. that might be an issue. The other difference uh, that the M2 that I remember is that the frame counter is external to the body and has to be reset by hand. It's a uh, right. dial that is integral with the film advance. Right, right. And you reset it by hand when you but but the M two is advantageous because it has a more favorable set of frame lines right. than the M three. Yeah. So a lot of people prefer it, particularly if your favorite focal length is thirty five millimeter, the M two might be a better camera for you. Yeah. I agree. Mm. Do you have one at present? I do have one. Do you shoot with it at present? I have not shot with that in oh. probably three years. Wow. Is it black or chrome? It's chrome. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen you sporting that one. No, I have not sporting. I sported well, it. Well, it, it is a camera of 58, and perhaps this would be a reason to break it out. Yes, sex. I know. I okay. think that's a good idea. All right. All right, next. Okay, so this is one. It's an interesting camera, but it's the Roloflex T. Okay. What is that? Again... It what? was to cut costs. You know, this was happening at the time. Um, so, and, so here's one. Here's one thing. The Roloflex T was often the camera at the camera show that you would see, and it would be a great deal. And then yeah. someone would come up. It looks just like all the others. Someone would yeah. come up, except you have to know what the differences are. But someone comes up to you and goes, "Oh yeah, that's you know that's the Roloflex T." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and were, let you know like. Yeah. Don't bother with it. Like, yeah, maybe, it's not a know. 2.8e. It's uh yeah. So it was the um there was a big price gap between the Rollercord and the Rollerflex. And to fill that gap, they designed this Rollerflex T. And to cut wow. costs, the automatic film start sense mechanism was abandoned. Instead, the way of you know, what Rollercord did was the start marker alongside the film gate. Anyway, um everything was simplified. And there were three models manufactured, but Model 1 was, was introduced in 1958. This is very interesting to me that three major camera makers were coming up with simplified, down-market versions of their flagship cameras right. all in the same year. Right. What was going on? I don't know. Isn't, this, a, it, the, isn't this the Great Society? 1958 isn't this like everyone's got more money than they know what to do with and they're living in idealized suburbs and going to work in hovercrafts I isn't that what yes, was going exactly. on in 1958 i'm wondering wow. if it's the race to you know everyone was racing to sell cameras at the time you know yeah. how do we sell more cameras i'm sure that was very the meeting. interesting 
Yeah. Okay. What else, man? I've got the Minolta SR2. Oh, interesting. Now, we covered the <laughs> SR1. Yes, we did. Last time. Isn't that weird? Uh, yes, it is weird. Yeah. Uh, so, what can you tell us about the SR2? Uh, SR2 single SLR. Um, it was equipped with a bayonet mount and an instant mm. return mirror. Interesting. How about that? Huh. Very interesting. You know, I think... Part of the was, perpetually underrated SR series. Yes. I'm always interested in companies that continue like a year later to come out with another camera. That's... Yeah. That's crazy. Um, interesting. Here's okay. one I have never seen before. Ooh. The Mamiya Elska. What? Elka. Elka. Mamiya Elka. E-L-C-A? Yeah, look up that one. Okay. 35 millimeter rangefinder. Made by Mimi in 1958. First Japanese camera to have match needle metering. Wow. Using a selenium meter. What a cool meter. Yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. What a cool thing. It's kind of groovy looking. Yeah. Very handsome little rangefinder camera. How about that? Do not know this machine. How about Mamiya that? Elka. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of Mamiya's that I'm kind of, what is the Mamiya Sketch? Do you know that camera? No. What? Mamiya Sketch. Okay, I'm sending one your way. Okay, Look thank up you. The Mamiya Sketch. This is not from that year. It's from 1959, as it happens. Here's what's interesting Let's about see. the Mamiya Sketch. Yes. Okay. Square frame. What? Square frame. 35 millimeter. Square frame. Wait, but what? What year is that? 1959. Oh, you're kidding. There are a lot uh -oh. of interesting uh -oh. Mamiya. Rangefinder cameras. Uh-oh. I'm going to have to yes. look at this seriously. Yeah. Doesn't it look cool? Yeah. Yeah. The Mamiya Sketch. It's one that I've kind of had my eye on for a while because you know how I like those 24 by 24 cameras. I have the Robot Royal, right. which shoots 24 by 24. But the Sketch, they're not actually that expensive. And, uh, of course, it's got very nice Mamiya Secor glass on it, right? Not Handsome a rangefinder or a rangefinder. Not a rangefinder. No, it's a no. Is a rangefinder. Oh wow. Yeah, look it up. Ekman has a profile of that thing. Yeah, send you it right now. Very nice machine. Yeah. Ooh, All this right. Is see, see. Yeah, Mamiya was making some interesting cameras, and a lot of those, like the Elka that you let off with, right, kind of fly under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. All right. Here's are there here's, more? Here's there's a there's just a couple more, but but okay. One interesting one is this Rico. This is another one I've never seen. Five one nine I. Okay. Ooh. And uh, made by is it Riken Riken Optical Industries? Yeah. yeah. Um, the thirty five millimeter rangefinder field was really crowded, and uh, with Yashica entering market with its first rangefinder at about the same time. Almost wow. every major relatively unknown Japanese camera maker had at least an entry into the marketplace. Wow. So they came up with the 519i. Fi Golly, that's cool. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yes. And my last Again, one. Again, quite I'd like, a handsome little camera. Uh, okay. And my last yes. one I want to talk about is something I think you would be interested. The oh, Zeiss yes. Icon Iconet. Oh. The 1958, like not to be confused with the 1929. This is from Vintage Camera Lab, who I like their site too. Yes. Um, and it's, uh, it's an, you should look this up. It's a kidney-shaped 35-millimeter viewfinder camera. Oh, yes. Oh, this is right up my alley. I know, I know. I knew it. Now, this is not version one of the Iconet, which was a folder. This is like a plastic-bodied... Like Mar oh my right. god! Right, the this folder was cool. 1929, but yes, absolutely. Oh, this is right up my alley. Is it made? Like no, it's not plastic. Interesting. Parts of it. This is very cool. Oh yeah. I need like wow. That. Yep. Fantastic. What a rundown. And I only have you I know, have two. I I only have two headlines from uh, 1958 magazines that were interesting yes. to me. One was yes. Um, how about this? Ni February 1958 from Popular Photography. Will tape replace film? <gasps> A survey with startling implications. Will tape replace film? I assume they mean videotape replacing motion picture film. Yeah. Right? But I also that? think that maybe that was the beginnings of people even thinking. 
in yes, the world. That of, something might replace film. Yeah, Very interesting. Something might replace film. And well, the other okay. one is from, from U.S. Camera, January 1958, How to Photograph Sputniks. Oh, <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So while we were gripped by Cold War paranoia, right. photographers were thinking, well, how do I take a picture of this? Exactly. Thing? All right. They may drop bombs on yeah. us from the skies, <laughs> but uh, I'd like a picture of them. Exactly. That's fantastic. Well, there I you go. It. There you go. There's what my rundown. A great rundown. That's an amazing rundown. Happy New oh. Year. Okay. Well, I love that. As usual, brilliant job. Fascinating cameras. A couple I hadn't heard of. That's great. I texted Gabe <laughs> before we started begging him not to do this and saying, please don't throw off my numerical sense. Not going to do it. But he refused. Yep. Which I, in retrospect, probably the right thing to do. <laughs> my pitch was that we float in a long disgust but never actually executed idea. Do you want to do this now, Gabe? Sure, why not? Okay. This is a segment that I think I first started talking about two years ago on this Smash Hit podcast. It is called, it really needs a music cue, but Fred's busy. Okay. He's not. He's not. We're going to have it. it. Okay. It is called Minority Report. (laughs) Here is the idea. Yes. We're going to talk about, we'll just go back and forth, and we'll talk about some great cameras, cameras we love, that do not come from the big name makers. Now, that means we're not going to be talking about Leica or Nikon or Roloflex or Pentax or Olympus, okay? I probably have left out some big ones. Hasselblad, okay? We're not going to talk about Mamiya. Mamiya. We're not going to talk about that. Contax, probably not going to talk about that. Zeiss Icon. That's a biggie. Probably not going to talk about that either. These are cameras that come from smaller makers, less touted makers, and we're going to talk about a few of them. I made a short list. Gabe, do you have a short list in your head as well? In my head, I have a very short list, but you should start this because I I just have one that I'm very excited about. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm going to start off with one that will surprise nobody who has followed this esteemed <laughs> news organization. Here it comes. Alpa 11SI. There you go. In a lot of ways, I mean, of course, you guys know, this is my favorite camera, okay? The only thing that even competes is the Hasselblad X-Pan, okay? Which I can't say because it doesn't come from a minority maker, right. okay? Alpa is quirky. It's strange. It's weird. It's unorthodox. They are hand-built in very small quantities, and they're also... Did I say strange already? Mm -hmm. Because they're very strange, quirky, idiosyncratic. But boy, I love this camera so much. I love all of its quirks and its strangenesses. And the fact that my camera, the Chrome Alpa 11SI, is one of only 287 ever made. Amazing. Talk about Minority Report. They made 287 11SIs in Chrome. 781 in black, 160 in gold. You're kidding. So chrome, almost as rare as gold. Wow. That is a total, folks, of around 1,200 cameras. 1,275, something like that. It is rare and desirable, which may be why I love it so much. Yeah. Okay, but that would be my first entry on Minority Report. Can, can we have a, a, a... Now, you just opened up the door with this one. Okay, ready? Yes. Yes. How many cameras did Alpa manufacture? And how did Alpa stay in business? You have to uh, help me here. They stayed in business by being expensive. I mean, they were kind of like Rolls-Royce. I mean, they made cameras to order for scientific applications, right. for medical applications. You could custom order the leatherette that you wanted. In some cases, you could custom order the finder that you wanted. Okay, It was very custom and hyper expensive. And by the way, they were not technological innovators. Okay, right. Alpas were never made with open aperture metering. Even though the final Alpa 11 SI was made in 1979, by which point everyone was doing that, Alpa was not innovating. So how did they stay in business? Well, the short answer is they didn't. Right. That they tried to compete as kind of a luxury, custom, made-to-order brand, which, as you recall, was what Leica was going to do for a little while. Uh, but anyway, I 
The answer is, I think over the life of Alpa, they made something like 50,000 cameras. Wow. Which is crazy, because that's what Pentax would blurp out in an afternoon. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. So there you go. All right. Well, your turn. Here's what I've got. This is the one that really just comes to mind for me, is the Pentacon 6. Ah, uh, now you have chosen a Zeiss Icon camera. Except, listen, listen, All listen. Right, listen fine. Listen. Okay, go for it. It's fine. <sighs> It's still, okay, was made yes. by Pentacon. Okay? Okay, fair. We're going to, we're, we're <laughs> you have to go. Is that Carl Zeiss Jena? Um, In other words, the well, East German arm? Well, it did have arm? those lenses, you know. It de it definitely, definitely had those lenses. Yes. Um, But this is a camera that, to me, is under the radar because it's a medium format camera. Okay. Um, it's has a really unique triggering system. Yes. It has a big ka-chunk sound like the Pentax 6-7. Yes. And it's very awkward to use. But every time I shoot with it, I am so happy with the pictures. Wow. Like it Is just it those gives lenses? a different look. Is that what you love so much? Well, I love the lenses, but I love how it has a waist-level viewfinder that's very unique. Sure. Yeah. And sure. it's not a Hasselblad it's not a Rolleiflex it's just sort of a different feel um of an SLR and I you know I just love it wow and okay. then it was and then the Exacta 66 uh was based on the the Pentacon 6 that was made in West Germany right um it's it's interesting because there were a lot of um in the, it sort of gets money with those cameras and Pentac Pentacon 6TL and, yes, you know, it goes on and on. But they are very fun to use. And I just, you don't see them a lot. Yeah. Um, but I love them. They just take more time. And this is the thing, you know, this is uh, which we can get into later. But, you know, these cameras take time sometimes to operate. Yes. And sometimes on shoots you forget, oh, yeah, it's okay to take some time. <laughs> Uh, no meter in this baby, right? No meter. I no do meter. have a no meter. meter. I do have a meter for it, but it's long gone. Wow. Yep. Fascinating. Okay. All right. We'll allow it. The Pentacon Perfect. 6. Couldn't be further from the Pentacon 6. <laughs> Petri Color 35. Now, I believe we may have spoken of this camera on this Smash Hit podcast. Have we spoken of it, Gabe? The Petri Color 35. I think we have. I think we have. I just don't know it very well. I like what it okay. looks like. This is the, I think we spoke of it, the last time we spoke of it was probably in our Roli episode because it is form factor, exact same size as a Roli 35. Right. Has a 40 millimeter lens like a Roli 35. But the ergonomics are completely different and to my mind, vastly superior. Petri was not known for making good cameras. As a matter of fact, this is really their only great one, in my opinion. But it is this aberration. It's as if AMC, instead of making the Gremlin, had made like a Jaguar XKE. Oh, my goodness. Like, it's that good. It's a great little machine. They're still undervalued. They're pocket-sized for real with a retractable lens. Okay? Uh, the lens comes out on a little gimbal or something. What? Gimbal? I'm not sure that's the right word. Hmm. There's a thumb wheel that causes the lens to come out and retract. Even the Roll I-35 doesn't have that. You yank the lens out on a Roll I-35. Uh, I love it. I love it. It's got an onboard meter. The aperture and shutter speed are controlled by dials that are a finger wheel on the front of the camera and a thumb wheel on the back. So it is incredibly easy to achieve match needle exposure on this machine. I love them. I used to have three. Do you know how many I have now? Zero. Zero. I'm so sad to say this. I sold my last one because I wasn't using it enough. But guys, mine is out there for you to buy and enjoy. Petri Color 35, Minority Report. All right, Gabe, you're up. Okay, this is, this is going to be another one. I, you have to tell me if this is considered yes. in the family of the Minority Report. Okay. The, in my dream, the Plowbell. <gasps> of course it is. Oh. The Plowbell Machina. Okay, I feel better. 
Okay. Now, here's the thing. I want to ask you some questions. Mm-hmm. You have not used this, though you have touched them. I have touched them. I really Why want them. One? I really Why? want one. What? Come on. You're an incredibly successful screenwriter. I'm I'm willing to trade another camera. I've got to do it in a trade, but I've, I've now... I really want to do it because I just love that camera. Would you get the 6.7, the W6.7? What would you opt for? The, you know, the W is the wide lens. Yeah, I would do what the 6.7. I would just do okay. the 6, the 82.8. Wow. Nikkor lens, as I recall. Folder, right? Yeah, it's a beautiful Nik- Nikon lens, yep. Or Nikon yeah. to our friends. I think you got to do this, man. I mean, think about how long this could be. This is your X-Pan. This is the camera you have been talking about. You're totally right. You have been talking about this. And it's 6x7 negative, which I know my friend Gabe Sachs is going to love. Yep. Right? It's very compact so that you can pop it in your, I guess, your overcoat pocket. They're not that small. But it's a folder, baby. Uh, you got to do this. I, I you, you got to do it. Yeah. I'm seeing them now. Yeah. I see it now. They're out there. They're out there to be had. Yeah, I'm into this idea. They're anywhere from, uh, oh dear. you know, 1400 up. Yeah. You know what an X-Pan is? And I have two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think, I've got to put the listen, word out there. Anyone have one? Let me know. And yeah, there you go. to trade, I'm excited to trade. It's 2024, Gabe. I know. Okay? Life is short. I mean, not for me, because I'm going to live a really, really long time. But for most people, life is short. It is, I think, time for you to bring this into your life and report to us. Because this is, like the X-Pan, one of those, like, holy grail, white whale, everyone wants one, it's a cult, you know, kind of cameras, and I think it needs to happen for you. I I am putting this on my search. There you go. It's going to happen. All right, I'm up. Ready? Yes. Rectiflex. Oh, wow. Rectiflex, the great camera with the stupid name. Okay, why did it's an Italian SLR. I actually posted a photo of Federico Fellini with his Rectiflex, which felt very apropos because it is, I believe, the only Italian-made SLR. And it was one of the first SLRs, if not the first, with eye-level viewfinder which is why it was called the Rectiflex, recta, coming from the Latin root, which means correct. Yes. The Rectiflex has beautiful lenses, okay, uncoated. It's extremely well-made, feels good in the hand, and most of all, the best logo of the era. Take a look at the typography. I love it. I have a Rectiflex standard, also known as the Rectiflex 1300. They are great. They're a little on the expensive side, but not crazy so. Hmm. The Rectiflex. I how, throw it back to you. How much are those? Wait, how much are those cameras? Okay, let's have a look. What does a Rectiflex 1300 go for? Well, Gabe, there's a little site. Uh, it's a, it's the uh, pig Latin word for uh, B. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a look. Let's see what those things go for. All right. Uh, about a thousand. Oh, there you go. Mm, There's a few up here, a thousand and up. All right, sorry, guys. It's not cheap. Not cheap, but lovely machine. Right. There is a rare variant that was made in Liechtenstein that goes for $11,000. So just feel good that you don't have to get that one. Yes. Okay? But they're very nice cameras, Uh, extremely well-made, beautiful fit and finish, it's Italian, baby. It's the Ferrari of SLRs. <laughs> All right, your turn. Okay, so this is a, this is another one I have to uh, uh, have to ask you about. But I've this is another one I've always wanted to play with, just because it was just seemed like one yes. of those cameras you can throw in your pocket. The Balda. Yes. Oh yeah, the Baldex. Which but what is it? I don't even know. Two. That's the one that I Wait, like. Balda. What Balda? What's the what's the name of the model? Let's see. B a l d a x e t t e two. Baldaxet. Oh my God! I don't know what this is. Did Baldaxet you see it? two. Hold on, oh I'm gonna send God. it to you. Ooh, 
Oh, this is cool looking. Isn't it? I don't know this one at all. This is a six by six or four by five by six. Yep. Wow. Oh, that's sweet. Reminds me a little of the uh Perkeo. Yeah. Perkeo. And this that one's in nice. Austria that I just said. Why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you getting? I this? like this because I'm. I'm. It's. I'm all about the plow bell now. That's it. And those are. Oh. That's my list. You. You go on. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have two more. Okay. I have two more. One may not count, but I mean, we let your Pentagon in. That's true. All right. Are you ready? Yep. This is a camera you have. I'm surprised. I don't think you mentioned this. Zivoitlander Vitesa L. Oh yes. Voitlander Vitesa L. This is a camera that, to many minds, is the equal of the Leica. Talk about fit and finish. Mm -hmm. This is a gorgeous folding barn doors, folding rangefinder with onboard meter, an absolutely incredible Ultron lens. It is gorgeously made. I don't shoot mine enough. It is so good. Voigtlander cameras, very nice. My first, one of my first cameras was a Voigtlander Vito 2A, which are to this day incredibly cheap. Which has the, the crazy? L which has the crazy? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The crazy advanced lever. Uh oh, that's the Vitessa L. There you go with the giant stovepipe <laughs> on it. That's the Vitessa L. That's really the cool. advance guys is a big button on top, which is also the release for the barn doors. So cool. Vitessa L. Oh, do we have any Voigtlander Vitessa L shooters out there besides me? I want to hear some love letters to this camera because it is great. And then my final one. Wide Lux. Yeah. Wide Lux. Made yeah. by a company called Panon. Yeah. P-A-N-O-N. It's the only camera that I know of that they ever made. Uh, apparently, the gang at Silver Grain Classics is going to bring back this machine. But the Wide Lux is, to my mind, one of a kind. I know people will talk about the Noblex. They'll talk about the KMZ. Right. They'll even talk about my beloved X-Pan. True. But nothing does it the way the Wide Lux does, which is why Jeff Bridges loves them so <laughs> much. And it is not from a big name brand. No. How about that? No. Does how did that they bring stay to in business? I, how, it's a really good question. At the well, time. You know what? Yeah. I actually think Wide Luxes are fairly cheaply made. Yeah. I don't think that they have a high, you know, the interior is all plastic. Right. You know, and uh, so I don't know. I don't know. That's how they stayed in business. They made it cheap. <laughs> you know, it's almost like a novelty camera that somehow transcended its novelty. Right. It's almost, people will hate me for saying this, but it's almost like a Diana. You know, it is a camera that was made inexpensively, but the effect that it gives is so specific and lovely that it became a cult object. Right. Gabe, that brings to a close this improv segment, Minority Report. Gang, we throw it to you. Okay, we have a prodigious mailbag. We'll get to it, guys. Stay with us. Let's hear from you. What are your favorite cameras not from the big-name makers? Polaroid is not a big-name maker. Well, eh, Polaroid <laughs> is a big-name maker. They don't count, okay? Right. Uh, Mint? I don't know. Anyway, use your own definition, okay? But let's hear from you guys. Cameras you love, not from the big-name makers. I'm sure we left some out. Okay. Now, Gabe, I want to follow up on something we spoke of. In our last episode, okay? Do you know that you are my role model? Oh, stop. Do you know that I kind of want to be more like you? <laughs> what did you and do? And so, when Gabe Sachs says to me that the Canon EOS Rebel 2000 with the 40-millimeter pancake lens is something worth trying, do you know what I, Jeff Greenstein, do? You try I get it. one. I love it. I get one. I, this is the this is the pick. Look at this. Are you going to hold yours up? We both have them. Okay. So excited. I want to talk about this piece of junk because <laughs> it is a piece of junk. Have you seen the pictures? Okay. Yes. I've gotten my first roll back. Yeah. They're amazing. Okay. okay. There you go. I want to first give a little shout out to James Tokyo at Casual Photophile, because when I posted about this, he reminded us that he wrote it, a wonderful article about this, which we shall link to. It said, uh, the title of this article is, We Should All Be Shooting Dorky AF 
SLRs, and here's why. This is from February of 2020. Yeah. His point, and I love the use of AF as a almost like a pun <laughs> in the headline because yes. strictly speaking, he means dorky autofocus right. SLRs, but these SLRs are also dorky AF, okay? His point is we look with disdain upon these cameras of the late 90s, these plastic-bodied cameras from the big-name makers, okay? Canon made them. Nikon made them. Pentax made them. Minolta made them. And we do not give these things a second look. No. Why? Never. Because they're plastic-bodied and they look like crap, okay? This one is your classic trash table camera. Yeah. It weighs nothing. It feels awful. In It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. But it's so incredibly advanced. Look at this dial, baby. That's the dial that's on every digital SLR right now. Okay? You can choose your green rectangle where it does everything for you. You can choose P for programmed. You can choose TV, which makes it a shutter priority SLR. AV makes it an aperture priority. You got full manual with open aperture metering. You have these modes, portrait, night portrait, landscape, close up. It's an incredible machine. Okay? People, if you teleported the Leica M2 shooter, of 1958 and said, here is a new camera. He would explode. Right. It has everything you want. Everything you want. This 40 millimeter pancake. Okay. I have a version, a similar 40 millimeter uh, meter pancake. The 20 millimeter 1.7 Panasonic is a lot like this. And I have that for my uh, Olympus uh, OM, uh, sorry, my Olympus Pen Digital. What a combo. This weighs nothing. And it's, I, I can't stress enough how trash this is, okay? I got this camera with a lens and this second lens and a case and the manual and a strap and a little blower thing. Blah, blah, blah. Total cost of this showcase, all in, $120. And so I didn't even have good. to spend that much. I could have gotten camera and lens 50 70 right? So good. I mean... I was out in the snow today because I'm in upstate New York and we just got a foot of snow. I was out in the snow today with this thing around my neck. It's snowing all over it. Do I care? I don't care. So got the good. first roll of pictures back. Delightful. But this lens is great. Yeah. Lens is amazing. Onboard flash. Onboard flash. Yeah. Gabe, would you like to share some more thoughts about this machine? Yeah, well the I thing is that you hit it on the head. It's it's a camera you can take with you and not really worry about, you know? A lot yeah. of times we have these cameras and we're a little paranoid about taking them out or whatever. This is a camera you can shoot like a point and shoot and just have it all the time. You can stick it in your car. You could leave it there and you'll be fine. Yeah. You could have one in, in every seat of the car <laughs> and the glove compartment and your bathroom. You could have one in every room of your house and not get close to spending what you would spend for even like a Canon F1. Oh, yeah. It's it's garbage, and I'm very glad I have it. Right. It is not collectible in any way, okay? But what fun. They At come the in moment. black, they come in chrome. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wait for the IDOC effect to take hold. Let me tell you something else. My only regret is, and Gabe talked me out of this. Okay, this is the EOS Rebel 2000, okay? There is a version of this that was sold in Japan, it's slightly different, called the EOS KISS Panorama. <laughs> it is a stupid version of this camera with a switch on the back that flips it into panorama mode. It's one of those Interesting. stupid cameras. Okay, I flagged a few of these and stuck them on my eBay watch list and was immediately deluged with sellers trying to unload them. For let me tell you how much. You know how much you will pay for an EOS Kiss Panorama? Fifteen dollars. You're kidding. That's a burger and fries at Five Guys. <laughs> EOS Kiss Panorama. I almost want to buy one. Yeah. But I'm not sure I can have more than one total piece of crap in my collection. It's pretty good. You're shooting with this. Have you gotten some film back from these yeah, babies? Yeah, I love it. I used. I did a shoot with all flash. 
Wow. It with was just, on with the onboard flash? Yeah, just to look like party stuff. Wow. And it was great. It was great. Yep. The 40 is very nice. Yeah. And focus is... I mean, this is my only autofocus camera, baby. My only. Only. And uh, got to say, I kind of enjoyed it. So excited The for weightlessness. You. The weightlessness. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Totally fun. <laughs> By the way... It also came with the manual. You remember those Magic Lantern manuals? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, it came with the Magic Lantern manual. Uh, the co-author of that manual, Bob Shell, is serving a life sentence for murder. <sighs> yeah, look it up, folks. Really sad. He was a murderer. Uh, anyway, Gabe will probably have me edit that out. <laughs> anyway. Because <laughs> um, it's okay. so happy. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Any other Updates from your shooting adventures of late, Gabe. Anything else? What have you been out shooting? You know, um, I was shooting. I did a bunch of uh, film tests with this camera, which I love. You know, I really want to see what it would operate with the flash and see if I could get that sort of old paparazzi look. Yeah. Um, I am. I'm getting. a. I, I tried. The 28 Elmerit 2.8 version 2 Leica lens, okay? Wow, okay. This is a lens that has sat on my shelf for a very long time, and I used it wow. very rarely. And I just used it again for some portraits, a 28, and I loved it. 28 for portraits? Yep. It is amazing. Wow. Yeah. I'm Okay, I got some questions about this. Yes. People say... You can't even use a 35 for portraits. Yeah, I disagree. Talk me at, tell, well, okay. I disagree. Is it flattering? Let's hear, let's hear it about it. It is flattering. Man. I think you get, look, you get what everyone calls an environmental portrait. You get a little bit of the, of the atmosphere you're shooting, but you get some great pieces. And there's, look, wow. there's these photographers that are shooting with 24s and getting these really tight close-ups, which you've seen of the, I can't remember the photographer's name, but it's an amazing, you did a whole book on it. Yeah. And uh, I've been really happy with that. That twenty eight. I'm just was surprised. I was just and you're really shooting this surprised. on what the what, what uh, body? I'm shooting it on the M10. Okay. And I've shot it on the M6. I love it. Wow, twenty eight millimeter Elmer. Yeah. And also shot that? the uh, when we we're in New York. I was shooting on the uh, the Black Paint M4. The twenty eight yeah. on there all the time, and I love it. 28 man boy i uh are there frame lines for it on that machine are there frame lines on just... it i believe yeah. so wow interesting golly i've never shot a lens that wide on my m body it's pretty cool golly that's cool all right there you go I'm trying to think no i don't think i have anything like that fascinating hmm. wow Gang, I want to hear from you guys. Portraits with wide-angle lenses. I want yes. to hear some thoughts on that. I mean, obviously, I've been getting some very interesting results shooting portraits on the X-Pan, okay, which is the equivalent of a 24, 25 millimeter on a standard 35 millimeter frame. So, And the Minolta P's. I've taken a couple of portraits with that, which are kind of cool in that environmental way. So I'm not averse to this. I'm just interested to hear about uh, how that works because people always say go for like a an 80 or a 100 as a portrait lens. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Any other news from the front before we dive into a, a, a shallow dive into our prodigious mailbag? No, I'm good. I think we should go for the mailbag. Right. I'm excited to hear. All right. Well, uh, you know, I... I I just want to start by saying that we love you guys. Yes. Okay. So the fact that the first email in the prodigious mailbag is from late October is not in any way a knock on your deathless prose. With that, we will take a dive into the prodigious <laughs> mailbag. Okay. Our first email. Yes, I said late October. It comes from Sander Abernathy. And here is what he says. Thank you for the podcast. Don't thank us. <laughs> he said he told five friends about it, and they said it sounded awful, so I know it's the podcast for me. Oh, boy. 
I, this is a guy I'm already happy. Yeah. He said, I went down the film rabbit hole a few years ago and accumulated about 50 cameras before paring it back and going down other holes that contain rabbits. Now that I'm back, I'm looking at the usual websites, KEH, Shop Goodwill, etc., and it seems the available inventory is down substantially. Do you sense a similar decline in the supply chain? My guess is that KEH is stocking fewer film cameras because interest has declined. Three shows suggest... Okay, now, wow. that, let's stop right there. Wow, 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 wow. Do you feel that that is the case? Do you feel that the supply chain is tighter or that there is less out there? I want to get your thoughts before I chime in. Look, I think there is a higher demand, so there's probably less working cameras out there. I think yeah. that... Um, but it feels like KEH has like a warehouse and supplied and has tons of cameras. The thing with B&H in New York is they can't keep them in stock. Yeah, And I that's think right. the cameras, like other companies in New York that have tons and tons and tons in stock, that's because their prices are too high. That's my yeah. theory about that other camera place with two initials. Yeah. Yeah. So you're feeling that this is a classic supply-demand curve and that it's still sorting itself out. Yeah, and I think that if you want them out and you want to, you know, that companies can sell cameras. Stores can sell film cameras all day. It's just some of them, they're preventing people from buying them because they're it's crazy. Some of them are just yeah. prices are triple what you can buy them for, and it's makes me a little nuts, but yes. Yep. Well, now that we have pitched the trashiest of trash cameras, yes. perhaps we will totally change the demand curve for crap plastic yes. uh, SLRs of the late 90s. He has three show suggestions, which are all shamelessly stolen from TV shows. <laughs> One, Hoarder. Gabe's never culling the herd without help. Every week, Gabe goes through one shelf of his cameras, picks one to purge, and then sells it in a silent auction. What do you think? <laughs> He's absolutely right. I think that's... <laughs> I think I need, I need that person from Hoarders that comes over to the house and say, says you don't need that. You really don't yeah. need that. It's time to go. But then I need that same person to be an expert on selling them. And yes. that'll make me very happy. Right. Okay, here's his second pitch. Meet your model. P joins the show along with an avid listener, and she picks a supermodel for a shoot with the listener slash schlub. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that idea. Um, I will say she continues to clamor. For when is her episode happening? Okay, right. and I really feel like that needs to happen when you're in New York, Gabe. Yeah, uh, I no, don't no, 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 no. Like That's happening when I'm in New York. Okay, it'll be later this um, month. Yes. As for whether we allow this this reality like hype machine that you're pitching to roll forward, uh, TBD. Finally, he says, five good <laughs> minutes. Bring one of your avid listeners on and ask them what they have been doing photographically of late. Huh. Interesting. Could happen, could happen. Not a terrible idea. You know, I don't know if our listeners have noticed, but uh, we haven't had a guest in a little while. Do you know why that is? It's because of me. Mm -hmm. It's because I am lazy and because those episodes take longer to edit. And so I have been lazy and that is why we haven't done it. But that doesn't mean we're not going to. 2024 is a new year. It's the year Gabe is buying a Plowbell Machina. So interview segments will be making a comeback. It's happening. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that excellent letter, Sander Abernathy. Next up. Okay. Next up. This is an email from Philip. Okay. A.K.A. Dr. Film. P-H-I-L-M. Love that. Instagram. His Instagram is dyslexic, spelled D-Y-S-L-E-X-Y-K. Here is what he is saying. This is a promo. I don't care. I like this guy. Philip Crana, he's written to us before and we like him. He says, hello, gentlemen. I am sharing with you an announcement for the next Dr. Film. These are free workshops we offer in Oakland, California that provide basic film camera repair, testing, and general advice in a fun collaborative setting. We help younger photographers get into film photography. They often bring in stray cameras they inherited or bought at thrift stores and garage sales. And we help older photographers reunite with their favorite film cameras which they may have had in storage for years. The end result? 
More people using vintage cameras, shooting film, and building cross-generational community. Hope you will share this with your loyal listeners. We have. Okay. The event was in November. But I assume he's going to do it again. So follow him, as I said, dyslexic with all Y's and a K on Instagram. What do you think, Gabe? Isn't that a wonderful template for what we could be doing? Yep. I love it. Absolutely. Gabe, would you be surprised? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is really wonderful. Okay. Our next uh, email is, uh, subject line is uh, episode 62. It comes from a gentleman named Alan Perez. I've never heard of this guy, but somehow I know how to pronounce his name. Exactly. It says, I listened to episode 62 while driving Skyline Drive in Virginia. Your smooth, dulcet tones, (laughs) emotion kept in check, was the perfect accompaniment to the twisty up-and-down road through beautiful forests. It was a fun podcast for a fun road. Do you think he is mocking me? Uh, Maybe. Slightly. Slightly. I think that's what's going on there. I think I'm being mocked. And you know what, guys? I welcome it. You know why? I, I... I don't care. Okay, the next email. Thank you, Alan. Next email comes from Mac Miller. He is Mac underscore Miller photo on Instagram. Mac, you need to look at your from because your from on your email does not match the spelling of your name. I don't understand it. Anyway, here's what he says. Recent thoughts. Hi again. The days are short and dark nowadays. Sad, gloomy times are approaching quickly, and we need to find little joys to keep ourselves above the water. He says, I found this half-a-cookie cannon some time ago, but was slightly hesitant to try it. I'm going to pause here. What he has is a version of the Canon Sure Shot Multitelly. You know the one, baby. Oh, yes. Okay, this is the one that is an autofocus point-and-shoot that can switch between being a half-frame and a full-frame camera. Anyway, he said he was slightly hesitant to try it as 75 frames are simply too many when you have a roll in your hand and think about mounting it. November seems to be the best time to take it out as the built-in flash cannot be shut off and there's light whenever I press the shutter. Only thing not working in mine is the frame counter showing zero all the time. I had that problem. I realized it when it was too late and now with so many frames on a roll, I lost count after the first five minutes of shooting. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff, for making me buy this thing. And by the way, are panoramic point-and-shoots horizontal half of cookies? No. No. They're not, right? No. Okay. So listen, we want to see some results, man. That's a good-looking camera. I want to see what kind of results you got. He says, finally, another story. I finally went on vacation, Canary Islands, 10 rolls of film, Nikon FM3A with the 40 and the 105, and a Yashica T5. How afraid I was of the airport security scans after hearing hearing and reading all the stories you can't imagine. I purchased a Domke lead-insulated bag, huge mistake, to keep my films in if they cannot be hand-checked, which I heard will only infuriate the security and make them destroy my films on purpose, correct? And to make it short, all films, 160 to 400 ISO, were scanned four times using the old boxy machines that should not affect films up to 1600 ISO. Domke bags are great in a way that the scanner still sees through the bag, and the officers are not forced to increase the power of the scanner itself. I don't understand that. Right. I had one manacle, manual check in Spain, but then in another airport, I started peeking how the Domkey bag looks under x-ray, and they scanned it twice for me. I still cannot see any negative influence on the films. Cheers both. Mac. Okay. Thoughts. Talk to me about the lead line bag. Do you ever do that? You know, it's really interesting. I did a lot of research on this yeah. when I was traveling a lot with film. And I, I, for some reason, I've become more paranoid about traveling a film than I used to be. I used to be, oh, it's going to get scanned and, yeah. and fine. And the majority of the time, it never really affected. Maybe it affected a couple frames, but it never was like it ruined the shoot or it ruined the film. So that's, that's one thing. Um, yeah. I think it's because of time. I don't think that these, you know, the TSA really are interested in hand checking. It just takes more time and it slows everything up. Yes. in their minds and I think that's where that comes from and to them they don't know what film is and they're not really they, digital is what it what they know and yes. so this film thing seems like a strange thing so you know I admire everyone who shoots film and travels and and you know but but there's a real those actually machines are really powerful 
Uh, I think the bag's amazing, but I think, I think he's right. It's like, that's something that makes them even crazier because they're going to see a bl- what they see on their scanner is going to be, is going to affect that image. Just the fact that it's a lead bag. I have lead line. never, I tried the lead line bag for a while and all it did was annoy security people. Yeah. They're going to send it through twice anyway. They want to see what's in the bag. Yeah. Uh, to me, this never works. I've had a good string of good luck, though. Like the past couple of trips, You've overseas a lot with and film. domestic, I do travel a lot with film. And I will say the only airport that has ever abjectly refused, like abjectly refused Heathrow. to hand check is Heathrow. Yeah, of course. That's Everyone it. says the same thing. It's crazy. Everybody else, and this is all over Central Europe, okay, Vienna, uh, everywhere. They have all been incredibly accommodating. Even when there's a language barrier, if I point to the film and I hold up a film camera, like it's very, very clear. Right. So, so they get it. The only problem is Heathrow. Um, but I, you know, I am just kind of factoring it in now. Right. I keep my film in a Ziploc bag, and I always say, "Can I get a hand check? This is photographic film." I have started when I do my when I roll my own. I have started lying about the ISO when I put my own label on it. But uh, no, no one has hassled me lately. I've had a good run of luck. That's great. Um, but, uh, you know, travel season just ended. Let's hear from you guys. How did you do? Um, but so far, so good. I have also, by the way, I think I might have mentioned this. I no longer ask them to scan a camera with film in it because they don't want to hand check that way. If the f- so I always try and get through all the rolls and have them in that pl- clear plastic bag before I get to security. Right, right. Our next email comes from our dear friend, Bear Brown. You know, I really want to meet this guy one of these days. Get, like, come to the West or East Coast and say hi to us, man. Exactly. I love this guy. Bear Brown on the subject of shutter release cable. He says, I've been listening to y'all on my commute to and from my classes at Indiana University. When I hear something I want to comment on, I go to Siri and dictate a note. Well, I've made several the past few months, so here I go. Way back in episode 55, Jeff talked about shooting his X-Pan handheld at 1 of a second. Mad props, son! I deserve them. Actually, yes. He said, I have most of my cameras set at 1 25th. And sometimes when I shout with Berenstein, when I shoot with, sorry, sometimes when I shoot with Berenstein, that's what he's named his Bush Pressman Model C, <laughs> I sometimes still get some focus issues. Now I found out by someone observing me shooting that when I triggered the shutter, I was pushing down on my camera, causing the movement. I have taken an idea from a fellow Model C owner and member of the Bloomington Photography Club here in Bloomington, shout out to Jamie, of attaching a short shutter release cable and rigging it to the leather strap, and it has made a world of difference. Do either of you use a shutter release cable? More to come, Bear Brown. And he includes a picture of this makeshift arrangement, which I guess gives him a more delicate touch where the release is separate from the camera. Gabe, have you ever done this? Yeah, I love I love using a shutter release button. I mean, I mean cord, cable, yeah. whatever you want to call it. I, I love it. I love it on the Roloflex. Interesting. Um, I love to, I, you know, I'm really would love to shoot more on a tripod. I just don't do it. And, yeah. uh, but I know I'm, I'm going to start very soon. Okay. That's a good tip though. I mean, he, the Bush Pressman is a form factor. I'm just not using. No. Okay. Like a big box camera, but that is very sensible. Like having a separate trigger like that. Really smart. Oh, okay. Totally. Teaming masses. Do you use a shutter release cable? Okay. Next up, our friend Anthony D'Alessandro regarding Pasadena Bargain Camera Show. Hello, fellow camera nerds. It was nice to see you clad in black, Gabe, at the Cameras and Coffee in Pasadena. How about that? Maybe Jeff can give his passport a rest and come join us sometime. Did you meet Anthony at this event? Clearly you did. Yes. Speaking of Pasadena, in episode 62, you mentioned the Pasadena Bargain Camera Show. Do you guys know anything more about it? Uh. Is it coming back sometime? Is it as dead as Aerochrome? I always enjoyed going to that show and listening to yours, Anthony D'Alessandro. Okay, Gabe, do we have any intel? None. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. You know, if you go to their website, they still claim... I'm going to check again because I don't want to be wrong. I want to check again and see. But last time I checked, and it was fairly recently, they said they were going to try and make a comeback in 2024. Yeah, but where there's no information. You can't get a hold of them. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It still says on hiatus. Yep. It's nuts. There's thread after thread. 
about like what happened to the bargain camera show. Ugh, we don't get it. It would be like, a zoo. It would be a zoo. I mean, having gone to Photographica in London, there is such a hankering for this. Now, I should also point out, our friends at SoCal Camera Show are trying to mount a new version of this. It's small but growing. So if you go to their Instagram, which I believe is SoCal Camera Show, I think I'm right about that, you can follow them, and I believe there is one coming up in the next few weeks. But, uh, gosh, we miss it like crazy. I used to go to the Anaheim and the Pasadena. Oh, absolutely. It was a great, you know, tables galore. Yeah. Anybody have any intel on this in Southern California? Let us know. Also, gang, anybody have any intel on a New York-based camera show? Haven't had any luck with that either. So keep us posted. I think, uh, let's see. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I did last time and knock off all the YouTube comments to round this out because <laughs> I love this. I sh- this, is the, this is the Vivian and Meyer Memorial segment. Yes. Okay? Four quickies. Four quickies, and then we'll round this out. Elliot Resnick commented, I just watched you guys for the first time, and I enjoyed your banter reminiscing about acquiring cameras in the 70s. I was 16 in 1973, and my part-time job in high school was in a shop located in Milwaukee selling record albums with a sound booth, greeting cards, and a photo counter where I sold those same cameras featured on this episode all the best. Thanks, Elliot. You know what was notably missing from that uh, YouTube comment? Hatred. Yes. Yeah, we don't know. We're what to not do used with that. to that. So yeah, thanks for the we'll kindness. We'll have to figure uh, this out soon. Really, really nice. Yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> By contrast, <laughs> here's a gentleman or lady. I can't tell. D A N I. Donny Molnar, with an accent over the A, said, "And this is just based on the title." Remember, the title of the episode was, Is Vivian Meyer Overrated, the 50th episode special? Donnie Monar says, Before watching this video, I say, No, she's definitely doesn't. Hmm. Okay, so I think his point is that she's not overrated. Uh, but he said that uh, before watching the episode. <laughs> Next up, Jason Valenzuela commented, Gotta say, Convenient money-making opportunity for the finder, and how is she benefiting? Art world hype is involved. Dead artist gold. Interesting. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Not entirely out of sync with what the co-host Jeff Greenstein said. Exactly. <laughs> did I say we were a little short on hatred? <laughs> you did. To round out the prodigious mailbag, I love to wind up with this. This is the final and most recent comment on Is Vivian Meyer Overrated, the 50th episode special. This comes from a gentleman named Peter Jensen. Here is his comment. Do you really want to be like the guitar experts who think Jimi Hendrix couldn't play? <gasps> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. There's so much hatred in that. I could feel it. So much hatred. But let me tell you what I find most offensive about that comment is vivian meyer the Jimi hendrix of photography <laughs> come on now what are you talking about uh, that was funny Ugh. and with that <laughs> <laughs> we bring to a close our prodigious <laughs> mailbag <laughs> guys <laughs> So we good. love this so much. We love y'all so much. Apologies for those of you whose emails have been languishing at the bottom of the prodigious mailbag. We will just keep digging our way out as long as you keep writing and posting idiotic comments on our YouTube video. You can always email us at idreamofcameras <laughs> at gmail.com. Gabe, don't you love the people out there in listener land? Don't we just I adore do. these I do. people? Oh, they're so wonderful and so kind to us. There was a lack of praise, which I got to say I appreciate. We don't like the praise. Right. So, uh, uh, but the hatred will take. Oh, my goodness. Do you know an hour has elapsed? It has happened. An hour has elapsed. It has happened. Um, Let me think if there's any other news. Uh, one year for my girlfriend and me. Uh, one year. I love it. 
Congratulations. Yep. It's a beautiful yep. thing. I couldn't be it's happier because thing. I was through it all. Yes, Gabe <laughs> has been with me through this whole magnificent adventure. And I will tell you something else. I mean, I'm so very grateful for that. And for the listeners who have come along on this yes. insane ride with me. Um, she's wonderful. She will be on the show. We will make that happen. I will tell you right now, I am staring out at a vista with one foot of snow on the ground. Amazing. Please get one out there and shoot snow. more film. I'm so excited am, about he, this. But here's the amazing thing. Next week, yeah. I'm going to the Caribbean. Beautiful. And I'm going to be on a sun-baked beach. Oh, so good. I'm going from wintry upstate <laughs> New York to a sun-baked beach in the Caribbean in one week. Nothing could be better. What camera, man? What camera? What should I bring? You're just going to bring one? All right. Okay. Two. You have to what bring the X-Pan and you have to bring be. another one. <laughs> the crap? Yes, I would bring that. Seriously. Or, I I mean, I could bring the XA or the Roll-Eye 35. What would you do? I would bring the one in your hand. I really would. The piece of crap. Yep. The piece of crap. POC. Well, I'll let you know what I decide. Very exciting. Gabe, whom do we have to thank at the end of this episode? We need to thank our creative director of this corporation, Keith Greenstein. Yes. I think he yes. continues to do amazing things and will do more amazing things in 2024, as well as our musical genius, Fred Corey, who will also uh, be doing amazing things in 2024. Fred Corey. What? Homeowner. Homeowner Fred Corey. Fred Corey just bought a home. We're or as we like to call it, the Obviously, Yes. Well, here's what I will say. It's from the millions yes. that he has made yes. from this smash it's hit podcast. It's just from the podcast. He was <laughs> able to put a down payment just for the podcast. So On the house, just from the very re happy revenue about from that. this podcast. It's really something. I love it. Couldn't be happier. Yep. Very and, exciting. <laughs> um, how do people get in touch with us? Well, I'll tell you. We've talked about our email address, idreamofcameras at gmail.com. You may also go to idreamofcameras.com for links to every episode, show notes on every episode, links to our merch, short bios, and who knows what else? I don't know. Go there and find out. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is idreamofcameras. We have surged past the 2,000 follower mark. Very exciting. Leaving other less hit podcasts in the <laughs> dust, by the way. Uh, you can follow Gabe Sachs on Instagram. He is Gabe Sachs. And you can follow me on Instagram. I am S. Jeff Greenstein because Jeff Greenstein is a tax fraud felon who spent a couple of Hanukkahs in jail. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. He, he, he hasn't reached out to no, me. No, he will. I, trust I'm waiting. me. I'm sure he will. I am waiting. It, How great would it be? It will be? happen. Gabe, I, I think that rounds out the hour. Uh, once again, welcome to 2024 and thank you to all of our listeners who have been with us on this journey. I leave it to you, Mr. Sachs, to walk us out of here. Here's what I'm going to say. In 2024, take more pictures. Take more pictures and bring your camera with you. Even yeah. if, whatever camera you have, you know, ideally a cheap one like this uh, lovely Canon Rebel, and you put yeah. it under your seat in the car, you have it with you all the time. Just always bring your camera with you. You will not believe the opportunities that will come your way it will be amazing we will see you on episode 66 see you soon <laughs>